How you doing this morning? You good? A little cold out there today? I tell you, you know it's cold when Devin, the young man who did communion, when he wore shoes. He never wears shoes on stage. And I noticed he had shoes on today. I thought that was, must be cold outside. All right, I want to ask you to figure out what these three different people all have in common. I'm going to share three stories, and your job is to figure out what do they have in common. Here's the first one, Daniel. Do you know a little bit about the story of Daniel? Tom Goodlett did an awesome job about four weeks ago teaching on Daniel. Daniel was probably 17 when his home country was invaded by the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had a habit of taking the best and the brightest, scooping them up from their homeland, taking them back to, their, to his territory, and equipping them with the gods, the language, and the lifestyle of the Babylonians, and then shipping them back so he could subjugate their culture. Well, what he does with Daniel is he decides Daniel's so good, he's going to leave Daniel in Babylon. And Daniel at age 17 says, basically, I'm not going to do it. I am not going to be defiled by the, at the king's table. I will not be defiled by the king's gods, by the king's culture. And so at 17, at 17, guys, Daniel takes a stand to follow his God. Joseph was also 17, not Mary and Joseph, but Joseph, the guy who got the coat of many colors. Remember that in the Old Testament? Different Joseph. Joseph, the son of Jacob. And Joseph now has a choice, and he takes the coat and wears the coat to dinner and big and brash and bragging in front of all the brothers. That didn't go over well. The brothers have an opportunity. They grab him. They basically rip the coat off. They throw him in a well. They sell him down the river, and they sell him to the Ishmaelites, and he's now a slave. Fast forward several years, and Joseph is now in Potiphar's house, and Mrs. Potiphar thinks Joseph is, well, I wasn't going to use the word hot. (laughs) This is going to be an R-rated service, I can tell. I was going to use the word attractive, but that's fine. We're, we're flexible here at Harborside. Mrs. Potiphar finds him um, hot, attractive, okay? And, and, and we don't really know how long this went on, how many times she tried to make a move, how many times she sunbathed, how many times she didn't wear enough clothes. I don't think the one day that it happened, I think it was multiple times. But anyway, one day, Mrs. Potiphar basically makes her move, and Joseph says, not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to dishonor my master, and I'm not going to dishonor the master. I'm not going to do it. David, what do these three have in common? David, not, not yet King David, but about 19 years old. He is a boy. And his dad sends him with some cheese and some bread because the three older brothers are off to war. They're fighting the Philistines. And so David shows up, and the war is not going, you know, great because this great big giant named Goliath is taunting the Israelites. And David's like, huh, what's up with this? This guy, this uncircumcised Philistine is making fun of Yahweh, my God. And David says, I'll fight him. Let's go. I'll take him on. And you know the story. 
this little bitty boy, David, he's still a boy, is going to fight a nine-foot giant who has trained for battle, fought many wars his entire life. And David takes five smooth stones from the creek. In Tennessee, we call it the crick. But five smooth stones from the creek, puts one in the slingshot, hits old Goliath right here in the head, co-cocks him, knocks him completely out. David doesn't even have a sword. He has to borrow Goliath's sword, and he cuts off Goliath's head with Goliath's own sword. Now, what do these three have in common? Yeah, they're all young, young adults, students. Yes, they all have courage. Yes, they all got to live to tell their stories. That's good, isn't it? They, they all get, got written in holy history so that we can read about their stories for a long, long time. What I want to focus on today is they all had a first-hand faith with their Heavenly Father. And their first-hand faith gave them courage to live for God all the days of their life. You see, every one of us in this room... We either have a first-hand faith, a second-hand faith, or a third-hand faith. Every one of us in this room fits in one of these three chairs. Now, if you're a parent or you're a grandparent, you long for your kids and for your grandkids to sit right here. I cannot tell you how many prayers I have prayed with grandparents who've been so upset that their kids and their grandkids don't really even know God. Everybody longs for this. I think you want this. I think the reason you're here this morning is all of us really want what's called a first-hand faith. It was about 15 years ago when Denise and I were in Puerto Rico. I think it was the first time we'd ever been out of the country. And we were there at a walk through the Bible conference, and I heard Dr. Bruce Wilkinson teach called the parable of the three chairs. And I can remember this from 15 years ago, Dr. Bruce talking about how everybody is in one of these three chairs. And he used Joshua chapter 24 as the springboard. Now, if you don't know the Old Testament, if you don't understand the Old Testament, and you want like a crash course, like the cliff notes, it's Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24, in about 20-some verses, goes through 5,000 years of Old Testament history. And what Joshua does in Joshua 24 is he wants them to renew their covenant. He's getting ready to die. They've crossed into the land, and he's offering them an opportunity to be steadfast with their faith. And so in Joshua 24, he starts with Abraham. He talks about the faith of Abraham. He talks about Isaac and Jacob. He talks about Moses, and Moses led them through the, 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 you know, the wilderness for 40 years. And then he talks about how Joshua then took over. They crossed over the Jordan River. And, and then, then in the land, there were the Amorites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and, and the Hivites, and some people say the termites. But anyway, there's all these ites in the land. And, 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 and he's saying, look... God defeated these mighty armies, Sihon and Og, and these tremendous armies. And then we go to Jericho, and you may remember the story of Jericho. We march around the city X number of times. We shout, and the walls come tumbling down. And Joshua says, listen, this is what your God did for you. But you have to make up your mind. 
You have to make a decision. Will you follow that God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or will you follow the gods that were beyond the river? Now, we don't get this because when we're hungry, we just go to Publix. When the lawn needs to be, you know, watered, we just turn on the sprinkler. If there's a problem medically, we just go to the doctor. They had all these different gods that they worshipped. So if they were like, if a woman couldn't get pregnant, they had a fertility god. If there was trouble with the grain and the grain wasn't full heads and there wasn't a great harvest, they had, they had a grain god. If there was a drought, they had a a rain god. And so all those gods that they worshipped in their minds were critical to their economics and their livelihood. And so what Joshua is saying in this 24th chapter, he's saying, you got to make up your mind. Will you follow the false gods of the culture or will you follow the true God, the living God? And so here's what they said, Joshua 24. They said this. He said, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. He's just gone through 5,000 years of Old Testament history. He says, now fear the Lord, serve him, throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates rivers and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you were living. But as for me and my household, that's a famous verse, isn't it? But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. (coughs) Look at the next verse. And the people said, okay, we'll do it. We'll serve the Lord and we'll obey him. And then verse 28, he dismisses them. Now, if the story ended there, it'd be a great story. But the problem is, Joshua sat in this first seat, but his children sat in the second seat, and his grandchildren then ended up in the third seat. Joshua, he knew the Lord. He had a first-hand faith with God. He'd he'd counted on God to defeat the the people in Jericho. He counted on God to defeat the armies of Ai. He'd counted on God to help him cross the Jordan River. He'd counted on God to let the Jordan River at flood stage be stopped and they cross over. He counted on God. And his children? Well, his children knew about God. They knew. They'd heard some of the stories. They they knew about God. But by the time it got to Joshua's grandchildren, the Bible says they did not know the Lord. We're all in one of these three chairs. And some of you in the room, you're in this chair, and you don't really know God, you don't really understand God. I am thrilled you're here. I mean, we're your church. I'm your guy. I'm your preacher for this. We're not going to try, well, I am going to try to persuade you. I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm absolutely going to try to persuade you. But if you have questions about this and questions about your faith and questions about the Bible, we're here for you. This is the kind of church where you can ask those kind of questions. But you've got to figure this out. (coughs) There's others of you in the room. You know all about God. You know the Ten Commandments. You know the Beatitudes. 
you know a few terms like the sepulcher and you know a few of the stories. But the truth of the matter is, you really don't know God personally. You've never really had a firsthand faith experience. And so I'm going to do everything I possibly can to encourage you to sit in this chair. This is the chair where life's not about you. This is the chair where you're not trying to bring glory to yourself. You're trying to bring glory to him. This is the chair where people last Sunday where we featured our senior adults, they'll tell you this is a life worth living. This is where the action is. This is where it's happening. This is where you want to be. But, you know, as a teacher, this is like really, really hard to explain. Because if you've never sat here and you've spent all your life going to church, going to Bible studies, going to the programs, serving the children's area, doing the deal, but you've never really said, yes, God, yes, God, okay, God. See, people in this chair, they say yes every time, all day long, every single day. They say yes. And people in this chair say, okay, I think it'll work out. I I think I got time. I don't know that I really want to, but, you know, God, we'll we'll, we'll see. And people in this chair say, no, I I don't think so. Life's about me. And so this is what's so hard. How can I explain this if you've never sat in this seat? How in the world can I convince you that this is a better seat than this seat? So I thought about this, and... I'm going to ask, we're going to play a little game together. And the, the first question is, um, t- to qualify for this game, you have to qualify for my terms. So first of all, how many of you like dark chocolate? Okay. How many of you like milk chocolate and dark chocolate? Okay. How many of you like just regular chocolate, you know, white, cho- I mean, white chocolate? How many like white chocolate? How many of you just like chocolate? You don't care what it is. <laughs> Okay, who in the room, and there were a couple of idiots in first service and in second service, do we have any idiots in the room that do not like chocolates? Raise your hand. There's one. There's, there's another. You're not an idiot, but right now you are. Okay, number, there's another. Okay, you don't get to play. You don't get to play, and it's a good thing we've already served communion because we hadn't served. I wouldn't give you communion today, but anyway. All right, so now... The rest of you normal people in the room, you've got a friend from a third world country, and your friend is with you, and you're going down the aisle at Publix, or at Target, Super Target, or wherever, and all of a sudden, you see the chocolate aisle, and you love white, milk, dark, you just love chocolate, you love it all, and you say to your friend, hey, let's get some chocolate, and your friend says, what's chocolate? And you're going, huh? And your, friend, your friends maybe worked with cocoa beans, but that's got nothing to do with chocolate. You ever tasted a cocoa bean? It's not very good, is it? So your friend has no clue, and you're trying to describe what chocolate tastes like. No matter how hard you try, no matter how descriptive you are, 
You cannot understand what chocolate tastes like until what? Until you've tasted it. And that's my problem this morning. See, my problem is I can't convince you to do this. I can't describe it. I can't be descriptive enough. You have to take a step of faith to to get here. I actually think Mary and Joseph started off in the second chair. I think Mary and Joseph, were, were, they knew about God. They were a good Jewish boy, good Jewish girl. They knew a lot about God. Went to the synagogue, went to the temple, went for different services. But I don't think Mary and Joseph really knew God until Gabriel showed up in Mary's life. And when Gabriel shows up in Mary's life, she is afraid. He says, don't be afraid. He begins to tell her that she's the one. She's the one. Out of all these years, she's going to be the one. And Joseph, he was a little freaked out too, wasn't he? And Joseph, you know, he wasn't going to do it. He's going to divorce her quietly. And the angel in a dream says to Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. For what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she's going to give birth and he's going to be a savior. And you're going to name him Jesus. I'm pretty sure the shepherds were in chair number three. The shepherds were disqualified from going to the synagogue and going to the temple. The shepherds were ceremonially unclean. The shepherds touched dead carcasses. The shepherds touched animals. The shepherds were constantly in environments where they were ceremonially unclean. I'm, I'm almost 98% sure they were in chair number three. But isn't it ironic that the ones who were out in the fields taking care of all these lambs who were being sacrificed in the temple, they're the first ones that get to see the Lamb of God? What a great story. And so we read about their firsthand faith experience. And if it can happen to them, it happened to them, it can happen to you. Let's read about the shepherds here briefly. Luke chapter 2, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And by the way, most people are convinced, most historians are convinced, the shepherds were actually young adults. Some people think the shepherds were children. You think about David as a shepherd boy. He was not an older person. He was a young, young lad. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Of course they were. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. They'd never had a firsthand faith experience before. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David. The town of David means means the house of bread. And so in this town, the bread of life is going to be born. The Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you you will find a babe wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, earth, peace to those in whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, See, what happens when you have a firsthand faith experience? You've got to tell everybody. Hey, you won't believe what God did. You won't believe what God did. You won't believe what God did. Let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you how God worked in my life. Let's go to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. 
So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. You bet they did. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. At first, there's fear. And there's always fear before we recognize that it's our Heavenly Father. You know, you're only born with two fears. You're born with two fears as a baby. But yet as you age, some of you have dozens and dozens and dozens of fears. And without a firsthand faith experience, your fears just grow larger and larger. I asked Griffin and Stephen, our two youth pastors, what are some fears of students? And what, what fears do young adults have? And after about a week, they gave me these five. If you want to write them down, there's some blanks for you in your bulletin. But they gave me these five. They said, this is what we see over and over again. This is what we hear from our students and our young adults. Number one was failure. I said, okay, explain that to me. And they said, okay, failing themselves, failing their parents, failing God, and failing their friends. And by the way, men, this is a man's number one fear, the fear of failure. So I find that interesting that students fear failure, and yet as we men go to the workforce, go to war, go to whatever, it doesn't go away unless God's involved. Number two was acceptance. I said, explain that to me. And that means fitting in. I want to fit in. I want to be valued. I want to know that I belong somewhere. Fear number three is loneliness. Does anybody really understand me? And I thought about these first three. I thought, you know, I don't know that this changes into adulthood. I see us as adults having exactly the same types of fears. Number four is abandonment. If she knew me, would she still be my friend? If he knew me, would he still like me? And so if failure, which is a man's number one fear, abandonment is a woman's number one fear. And the last one, number five, was the future. I said, all right, talk to me. What, what does that mean, boys? And they said, it's, it's pressure. Pressure from grades, pressure from expectations, and pressure from opportunities. And so I've come up with this little slogan about this next little line about faith. Look, put it up there if you would, Deb. Fears eclipse with a firsthand faith. Fears get smaller. Fears eclipse. You see, how do I know that? Because Mary was afraid, but she knew that God was calling her to do it. Joseph was afraid, but he stepped forward. I actually think Joseph had a really tall order to fulfill, by the way, don't you? How do you convince all your buddies that your girlfriend is pregnant by the Holy Ghost? I mean, I don't know how you do that, you know? I mean, you're at the tavern, and all of a sudden you've had you know, a couple beers, and, and one of your friends says to you, you need another one because we're not buying this story, you know? And, and, and then he's got an 80-mile trip. He takes her for 80 miles on the back of a donkey, and he can't have relations with her until after the child is born. Joseph was probably scared to death. But his fears got smaller and smaller and smaller as he continued to be faithful and faithful and faithful. And look at what they did. They went into town, and they found a God to be true. So what, what are you going to do with your life? 
you're only going to be in one of these three chairs. You can go to church your entire life and be in this chair. Many people go to church their entire life and sit in this chair. But this is a chair where God comes to you. So I, I want to show three quick, three quick blanks again. Here we go. Number one, how does this work? Well, do I have to, like, go position myself? Do I have to, like, go do something to have a firsthand faith? No. God comes to you. And you already know this. God has already come to you again and again and again. And he's asked you to believe something. He's asked you to do something. He's asked you to be something. You already know this. God is, if, if you're 15 years old, I would guess God's already come to you 15 times in your life. And he's asking for a firsthand experience with you. He comes to you. You don't have to go looking for him. He came to Mary. He came to Joseph. He came to the shepherds. He came to David. He came to Daniel. He came to the other Joseph. He's always coming to you. It could be at work. It could be at home. It could be in the neighborhood. He's always coming to you. Number two, he invites you. He gives you a chance then to join his work. And he says to you, you have an opportunity to join me in what I'm doing. And then number three, he brings confirmation. The shepherd said, let's go into Bethlehem and let's see if we can find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. And it was just as the angels had said. So I want to challenge you this morning. We're not going to play church for the next five minutes. Okay? I want to challenge you. Isn't this a pretty good life? Wouldn't your life be a great life if you sat in this seat and you lived in this seat and you worked in this seat and you played in this seat and you worshiped in this seat and you, you did life through this seat? Wouldn't your life be a really good life? And so if you're a student or if you're a young adult, specifically to you, you've got longer to write your holy history than some of the rest of us in the room. So I want to challenge you. Now, what does this mean to sit in this seat? Well, this is a seat that says, you know what? I'm not going to live for myself. This seat says, I'm going to live for God's glory. I'm going to figure out with my time, my talents, you know, all the treasures that I have, I'm going to figure out how I can do life for him. This is a seat. This is a seat that says, maybe everybody else is going to take the low road of morality. Maybe others will take the low road of morality when it comes to sex or money or attitude or alcohol. But, but I'm not going to take the low road of morality. I'm going to take the high road. I'm going to take the high road of integrity. Maybe others are influenced by culture, but you're going to live your life counterculture. You're going to live your life according to Scripture and according to truth and according to the, the moving of God's Spirit. Everyone else is sliding sideways, but you're actually going to move in cadence with the Holy Spirit. Would this be a really good life when you meet Jesus face to face? Would this be a great life when you stand before the king and everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done is taken into account? And this is the life that he's inviting all of us in this room.
no matter what you've said, no matter what you've done, no matter how far away from God, this is the life he's calling all of us to be in. Now, this is the white-knuckle adventure. This isn't always the easiest life. This isn't always the smoothest path. But this is the life that your heavenly Father is calling every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, every believer to be in. A first-hand faith experience. And you see, once you begin to experience it and you hear his voice and you feel that moving of his cadence inside your life, the fear just kind of goes away a little bit. It gets smaller. It gets eclipsed because you know God's in it. And you know he's going to see you through it. And then the health and wealth gospel people take it to an extreme that I think is a little unhealthy. But you live in this chair And he gets dialed into your deal. He gets dialed into your life. He puts his hand on you. Psalm 90, 17. The favor of the Lord rests upon you. And you bring him glory and honor all the days of your amazing life. Well, I've asked Stephen and Griffin, our two youth pastors, to come out and join me and tell a story about some firsthand faith. Will you welcome Stephen and Griffin? And so Stephen is our youth, uh, one of our youth pastors. Griffin is one of our youth pastors in middle school and high school. And they get a chance to challenge and see firsthand faith experiences all of the time. So guys, thank you. I appreciate you coming out. Why don't you start us off? Yeah, we have a, uh, a young lady. She's a senior in our youth ministry. And uh, she's kind of a typical uh, church student. She's got a great family, uh, committed marriage, and the parents are involved at, in church at Harborside. And I'm just really involved, and so this student knows a lot about God. She knew a lot about him and stories and and what God kind of was all about and knew what she'd been taught by her family, but she didn't have a relationship with God. She didn't have a a personal relationship with him, and and she got involved in our ministry uh, a little under a year ago, and uh, she came on one of our trips in August, and at the end of that trip, She walked up to me, I'll never forget this, we're 10 minutes away from ending the trip with baptisms, and she looked to me square in the eyes, and she said, Griffin, I want to get baptized today. She said, but I I need you to know that this isn't for you, and this is not for my family, and this, this isn't for my parents, this is my decision, this is my decision today. And I got this huge smile on my face, and I just grabbed her, and I hugged her, and I said, I'm so proud of you. Because today, right now, you're starting your faith journey. And so about 20 minutes later, we went down and we baptized about 10 students, and and she was the last one. And when she came up, about 20 of her friends came out into the water, tackled her and me into the water, and we celebrated this new life in Christ. We celebrated a firsthand faith right then and there. It was amazing. Awesome story. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right, you got a story about a middle schooler? Yeah, uh, we have a middle schooler who, if you would have asked him about a year ago where he stood on his faith, he would have told you he didn't believe in God at all. And sure, he would come on Sunday mornings with his family. He would love to have fun and play games with us. But it wasn't really a personal faith. But what happened was he built a relationship with some of our leaders who challenged him to really get into God's Word, to try to understand who Jesus is and what Jesus did for him. And being the ambitious kid that he is, he decided to take the challenge head on. He said, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to learn something new. 
So he goes on and starts to get into the word. And it goes from people asking him questions to he wanted to start asking every question there was because he was so eager to learn more about God. Well, over the year, he had times where he went on a couple of our trips. And during these trips, he learned what it meant to truly worship. He started to serve those who were in need. He started to dance during worship. He got excited to sing out Jesus' name during our songs. Really, he just did whatever he could to just be an example of Christ. So I was excited because during this last year, and it hasn't even been a year since that happened, I've seen him be baptized by declaring his faith. I've seen him start leading Bible studies at his school. I've seen him just go forward and pray in front of the entire youth group. He's just taken this faith from just an idea that he's heard about to something that's truly personal to him. And it's exciting because we've seen God do these amazing things, and I'm so proud that he chose to have this faith. It wasn't forced upon him, but he was challenged by leaders who loved and cared for him to really get to know who God is. And now God's taken that and not just changed his life, but changed the life of his friends and family as well. That's awesome, Steve. That's a great story. We're going to invite you to stand, and we're going to invite our prayer partners forward to close out the service. But I love this illustration of the chairs uh, that Kurt told us about. Because in reality, every one of us in this room, we're in one of these chairs. Maybe we feel distant from God. Maybe we like the idea of Christianity and faith and and what God can offer us. But maybe we don't know where to get started. Maybe we need to ask some questions and to see, what does this firsthand faith look like? Am I ready for it? Am I worthy of it? How do I even begin? And so these prayer partners are here uh, for you to come and to have someone answer those questions. Maybe you need prayer for something in your life. Maybe you have some of those fears that Kurt mentioned earlier. Maybe some of those fears are holding us back from experiencing what God has to offer each and every one of us as individuals. And Kurt said earlier in one of the points that God has come to us. He's inviting every one of us in this room, no matter what our background is, no matter what we've been through, into a firsthand faith, a relationship with him to experience his love, his acceptance, his glory, and to know how much he cares for us and what he wants and desires for us in our futures. And he wants that today. And so we celebrate Christmas because God has come to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And through Christ, we have the opportunity to have faith in him and to realize God wants every one of us to have a firsthand experience of who he is and what he's done and what he offers each of us. So I invite you, if you have never given your life to Christ today, take that opportunity up front with one of our leaders. And maybe you know someone who uh, needs to experience God, needs to learn more about him. And Christmas Eve, as Jonathan said earlier, is the perfect time to invite a friend or a family member, we'd love for you to take a card as you walk out uh, to invite someone to come and experience who God is and what he has to offer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us. God, we all have fears and we're all in one of these chairs, but we know that you've revealed yourself through your son and you've given us this incredible opportunity to know how much you love us and what it looks like to live a life of faith in you. We thank you for what Jesus has done for us. We celebrate that this season, and we give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.